that alone could have very dramatic consequences for developing countries, and in particular, the poorer countries amongst the developing country spectrum. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Unless the United States Congress raises the so-called debt ceiling, the U.S. Treasury will run out of money and may default on its debts. According to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, this could happen as soon as June 1st. Republicans in Congress are using the threat of an unprecedented U.S. default and the chaos that would ensue as a bargaining chip in negotiations with the Biden administration. At time of recording, with little over a week remaining before the June 1st deadline, Congress did not appear to be close to raising the debt ceiling. A U.S. debt default is suddenly not a totally remote possibility. Joining me to discuss the global implications of a U.S. default is Monica DeBole, Senior Fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. We briefly discuss what we mean by breaching the debt ceiling and then have a conversation about the geopolitical implications of a self-inflicted U.S. default. And in the second half of our conversation, we dial in on what a U.S. default would mean for economies in the developing world, including poorer countries in Asia and Africa that are themselves already deep in debt. There's been a lot of ink spilled on what a U.S. default would mean for the American economy and economies in Europe, but this conversation takes a deep dive in what a U.S. default would mean for most of the rest of the world. I learned a lot from it, and I suspect you will too. Before we begin, I want to remind listeners that we are in the midst of a fundraising drive. If you are a regular listener to the show, please take a moment to support the show you love. We depend on a certain amount of listener support to keep on keeping on, and I'd sincerely appreciate it if you took a moment to make a contribution. You can do so in one of three ways. I'm platform neutral, whatever is Easiest for you is what you should do. If you are listening to me right now in Apple Podcasts, you can become a premium subscriber directly in the app. It's very easy. It takes just a few taps of your finger. 
If you are on my email distribution list, you can become a subscriber directly through Substack, or you can go to patreon.com slash global dispatches. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash global dispatches and support the show from there. And again, we rely on a degree of listener support. And one of the great things about having hosted this podcast for so long and Global Dispatches is the longest running independent international affairs show is that I'll often hear from many of you who started listening to this show in school and are now firmly in your careers. And you let me know how this show has influenced your own life and career. I love hearing those stories. And if that describes you, please do take a moment to give back to the show that has helped you along your own journey. Thank you. All right, now here is my conversation with Monica DeBole of the Peterson Institute for International Economics. So a good portion of the audience that listens to this show is outside of the United States. So to kick off, I would be interested in having you briefly explain like what we mean by the debt ceiling, which is, I take it, a uniquely American invention. So the debt ceiling is a uniquely American invention in some respects, but it's not uniquely of the U.S. There are actually three countries, including the U.S., that use debt ceilings or nominal, we should say debt ceilings, in other words, debt ceilings that are specified in the national currency as targets or as an orientation for fiscal policy, or as we economists call it, a fiscal anchor of some kind. The other two countries that use debt ceilings are Denmark on the one hand and Kenya on the other. So these nominal debt ceilings, these debt ceilings that are actually formulated in terms of quantities of domestic currency. Fascinating. Well, we've covered Kenyan politics often on this podcast, but I admit we have not gotten into the intricacies of Kenya's debt ceiling. But here in the U.S., where I am, where you are, what do we mean by a debt ceiling and what are its implications? So when we say a debt ceiling in the context of what we have in the U.S., what that means is that so there's a certain amount of debt, X trillion dollars, let's say, that's specified for a given time period. And you cannot go above debt issuance of an amount that's higher than X. So in other words, you say that for a given time period, say for the fiscal year, as it were, you cannot issue more debt than X trillion dollars. And in case you do need to issue more debt than X trillion dollars, well, then you have to change the X. So you have to increase the X to X plus something so that you can accommodate that extra issuance. That's what it means in the context of the US. In the context of a country like Denmark that does have a debt ceiling as well, they set that X so high that actually there's never going to come a point where you breach it. So they give themselves a lot of wiggle room. It's not even wiggle room. They give themselves a lot of room for maneuver for additional debt issuance by setting that bar 
that you can't go above very, very, very high. So for a variety of reasons, that's not how it works in the United States. And there are a number of political explanations for like what's happening now in terms of the Republicans and the administration negotiating with each other. But there is a possibility that the United States indeed breaches that debt ceiling and enters into some sort of default. And I wanted to focus the bulk of our conversation today on how a U.S. default would be experienced globally, and in particular, how countries in the developing world may feel the impact of a U.S. default. But before we get there, can I just have you explain more broadly the implications of a U.S. default? What would be some of the top-line international consequences should the U.S. default in some way on its debt? So there are a number of actually very top-line implications for the global economy in general. The U.S. dollar is what we call the world's international reserve currency, par excellence. It's not the only one. There are other currencies that are used widely, like the euro and the yen, and you know, to a lesser extent, the pound, and also the renminbi and various transactions. But the dollar is the world's reserve currency in that it serves a number of different uses for different countries. And to use a pun, the other side of the coin of the dollar itself is U.S. debt. So in other words, you can look at a treasury bond that's issued by the U.S. because that bond is very liquid, is very easy to trade and so on. It's almost like currency. And therefore, you know, anything that affects the stance of U.S. debt, anything that affects the stance of treasury bonds is going to affect the currency as well, is going to affect the dollars. So if the U.S. were to say default on its treasury bond payments, on its debt, that would automatically have consequences for the dollar. So that would automatically have consequences for, let's say, the trustworthiness of the dollar the value of the dollar as an international currency. How much can countries actually trust this currency that they use in various transactions or that they use in order to place their international reserves? So the central banks across the world hold international reserves in various currencies, but the bulk of it is usually in US dollars. And if suddenly, you know, that trust comes into question, that trust with respect to the dollar slash its backing, which are the bonds issued by the U.S. Treasury, what does that do to the value of these reserves that central banks hold? And so there are a number of issues here that affect countries directly, not to mention financial markets, because the markets for U.S. Treasury bonds are very deep and liquid. These are the most highly traded assets in the world to a large extent because they're perceived as being very safe. So people who are looking to hedge their operations somehow or who are looking to hold more so-called safe assets, they would naturally hold U.S. bonds. And then suddenly, if the U.S. were to default on these bonds, well, they're not safe anymore. And therefore, you would expect to see a run from treasury bonds as opposed to a run to treasury bonds, which is typically what you see in times of uncertainty. 
And the world right now is going through uncertainty. We have a lot of issues that are going on simultaneously. We have the war between Russia and Ukraine. We have oil prices, which are reflecting in to a large extent what's going on geopolitically. We have other issues. There are geopolitical issues with China. And thus, there's all this uncertainty, which has led countries to hold more treasury bonds. But then if the situation reverses, if the U.S. defaults needlessly, then we would see, you know, a major uproar in financial markets that is very, very hard to actually estimate and quantify. So if essentially a default makes the U.S. Treasury bonds, basically the dollar, less trustworthy. It's not that sort of liquid, trustworthy, safe bet that it used to be a pre-default. And people and governments and large institutions are looking for a safe place to park their money because treasury bonds are no longer considered as safe. Where do they go and what are the geopolitical implications of that decision? Well, that's a very good question, because at the moment, the dollar is unrivaled in terms of its position as the world's reserve currency. So as I mentioned, you know, there are these other currencies like the euro and the yen and the pound and the renminbi and so on. None of them are perfect substitutes for the dollar. So we are not in a world where there is another currency out there that would automatically fill in the dollar's shoes, as it were. So it would very much be kind of a case-by-case kind of situation. So for example, you would definitely expect to see countries that are sort of in the orbit of China. So those countries with which China does a lot of trade with or has a lot of other transactions with, and some of those transactions are even already denominated in renminbi, you would expect to see more and more of these transactions between China and these sets of countries being done in renminbi as opposed to in U.S. dollars. And that's a trend, we should say, that has already started, that China is seeking to settle more bilateral trade in the renminbi as opposed to the U.S. dollar. But you're saying that a U.S. default would probably accelerate that trend. Exactly. So that's what we would see. We would see an acceleration of trade of things that are already ongoing, such as, for example, the issue that we've just mentioned, the trade in renminbi between China and its trading partners. What I want to really underscore is that there isn't an obvious substitute for the dollar. So countries would probably be scrambling to find exactly how you know they would in the future, let's say in terms of their central bank reserve holdings, How would they allocate that between different currencies? How much would that still be allocated to dollars versus other countries? How much would that balance shift? And of course, this has major implications for U.S. assets because central banks around the world are the largest holders of U.S. Treasury bonds. So any shift in allocation, so any reduction in the holdings of Treasury bonds as part of central banks' reserves could have very big implications market-wise within the overall economy. So, I mean, that's fascinating. Are there other key geopolitical implications of a U.S. default that you'd want to note or cite? 
When we look at the current context that we are going through, so we have been in this situation for a number of years now where we have seen China's rise, obviously. We have seen what some call a sort of U.S. decline or at least a smaller participation of the U.S. in the overall global economy. And that has induced a shift in geopolitical power. And we have seen how that shift has materialized into more and more disputes and competition in different arenas between the U.S. and China, but not just the U.S. and China. We also have, you know, the European Union involved and other parts of the world involved. If there is a default with the implications that that carries for the perception of the U.S. as this country that holds a lot of power still geopolitically, that perception would evidently change. And how sharp that change could be is obviously an unknowable before the fact actually happens because we have never seen this situation before exactly in these terms. But one could definitely expect that the sorts of disputes and intentions that we have seen around the world, the geopolitical disputes and tensions that we have seen around the world would likely get worse. I wanted to shift gears a bit and ask you more specifically about how a U.S. default would impact the economies of the developing world, specifically lower income countries. You know, one trend we've seen really since COVID is that countries in the developing world, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, are taking on or have taken on huge amounts of debts are currently experiencing spiraling inflation. A country like Ghana, for example, is needing to pay half or more of its revenues in in debt servicing alone. Presumably, like a lot of this debt is held in U.S. Treasury bonds. What does a U.S. default mean for an economy in a situation, say, like Ghana or others like it? So that's an excellent question, because one thing that does happen with developing countries in general always is that given that they always show at some point some sort of macroeconomic fragility, so either they have periods of very low growth and possibly very high inflation accompanying very low growth or even just very high inflation in general, um, these are situations that usually lead to countries holding more of a currency that they deem to be trustworthy and strong. So what we have seen around the world for different developing countries in different parts of the world, so whether it's Africa or Latin America or even the poorer parts of Asia, what we do see is that these are countries that tend to hold more dollar assets simply because these assets have value and that value is perceived to be safe and perceived to be stable. Now, if suddenly you have a situation, a self-inflicted situation, we should, we should underscore, that leads to a default of treasury bonds, of U.S. debt. These countries will find themselves in an even worse situation than they're already in because they have decided to hold a portion of the you know, meager assets that they have or the meager wealth that they have in U.S. treasury bonds. 
And then all of a sudden, those treasury bonds will see their value greatly reduced as a result of a default. So for developing countries, it could be a major blow from that perspective. So that's one issue. The other issue relating to your question, which is the issue of debt. Yes, these are also countries that have a lot of debt. A lot of that debt isn't necessarily in US dollars, but it's certainly not in these countries' currencies either. So these debts may be, you know, depending on the location of the country in the world and their relationships with other countries and where the creditors are located, the debt may be denominated in renminbi, you know, if these loans came from China. It may be denominated in just several different other currencies and a number of other currencies. And obviously, one of the backings for these countries is, again, central bank reserves. So one way by which countries manage their debt and their ability to carry debt and at the same time not or keep away or stave off the possibility of they themselves defaulting is by holding a large proportion of their central bank reserves in a currency that's deemed to be stable, which is the US dollar. So the country has high debt, but the country has a lot of reserves in dollars, let's say. And then all of a sudden, the US defaults. Now the country has a lot of debt, but it has nothing that it can count on to sustain itself because it no longer has these reserves in a currency that is considered to be stable. So that will evidently have a very big effect on these countries and might even tip these countries into a default of their own. So, I mean, it seems having covered development issues for about 18 years now, whenever there is like a stark economic downturn, like we saw in 2008, it really does hit the developing world much worse then it hits wealthier countries for all the obvious reasons. And from what you're saying, it seems like countries in the developing world, particularly poor countries in Africa, parts of Asia, could experience that kind of double whammy of defaulting on their own debts as a consequence of the U.S. default. Yes, absolutely. That is absolutely one of the big, big risks related to a U.S. default that does not need to happen. Again, just we need to underscore that because the only reason why it would is not because the U.S. cannot pay its debt. It's simply because there's the inability to reach an agreement between Republicans and Democrats. So it's a purely political issue as opposed to an economic or financial one. That alone could have very dramatic consequences for developing countries, and in particular, the poorer countries amongst the developing country spectrum. And what sort of human impact could you imagine that to have on people living in poorer countries? Well, the human impact is huge because debt crises, when they happen, and if these countries were to experience debt crises, or financial crises of some other sort, so banking crises, and you know, usually debt crises actually come with banking crises. One leads to the other, and they come together. That would amount to massive economic dislocation and to a massive cost on these populations. They would see a very sharp increase in unemployment, so people would lose their jobs in situations where you already have 
very, very poor populations, you would see a worsening of that for sure. So you would see an increase in poverty, you would see an increase in inequality, people's lives would be very badly hit and very badly hurt. And potentially in a way that is much, much worse or much deeper than what happened in the 2008 financial crisis. Because in the 2008 financial crisis, that crisis was obviously very dramatic and had huge implications around the world. However, you know, the U.S. and other countries that were also suffering from similar problems, they were quick to act. And even if there were recessionary impacts all over the place, it wasn't the type of crisis that had the kind of consequences that this might have. So in other words, we didn't really see in the 2008 financial crisis or as a result of the 2008 financial crisis, a wave of debt defaults in the developing world. We didn't see that. I mean, obviously, some countries fared very badly, other countries not so badly, but we did not see that kind of wave of default. It would be different this time comparatively. So we could expect easily, given that there are a lot of developing countries already in very high debt, including because we are coming out of a pandemic where every country has actually run up its own sovereign debt, we could very well see a wave of default hitting the developing world. And that has multiplier effects of its own, because of course, if you have a large proportion of the global economy that is suffering from these debt crises, well, then the pull of the global economy tips into recession, which of course then has spillover effects on the US itself and on other countries. And that kind of takes a life of its own. You know, it's sort of a vicious circle that sets in. So in the event of a US default, are there any policies that could be implemented either by governments around the world or, say, by multinational banks like the World Bank or, or the IMF that might potentially mitigate some of these negative shockwaves from impacting too deeply on economies in the developing world? Is there anything that can be done? The sad part is no. That wasn't the answer I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know that. But the sad answer to that question is not really, because when we look at the firepower, for example, of international institutions like the IMF or the World Bank or you know other multilateral development banks around the world, they don't really have the kind of firepower necessary to deal with a shock of this magnitude. So it's a huge, massive shock that no one is really prepared to deal with because no one has prepared for that situation. It's a situation that is in many, many ways unthinkable. And it is also unthinkable because it is a situation that if it happens, is completely self-inflicted and it's completely irrational. So there hasn't really been preparation for this kind of situation when you look across the sorts of things that multilateral institutions do and the kinds of things that you know, preventively different countries do for their own sakes, you know, to face external shocks of different natures. You know, no one is prepared to face a shock via a U.S. default. No one is prepared for that. It is an unthinkable. But now it's not so much an unthinkable, but it is going to catch everybody still wholly unprepared. Is there any other like point you wanted to make or anything you wanted to get in or a question I didn't ask? The fact that you have 
so many of these developing countries that actually are so highly dependent on the dollar because they can't depend on their own currencies. Think of an economy like Sri Lanka, for instance. You know, they have terrible policies and the currency is, you know, just a currency that can't be trusted. You can think of the same story in Argentina. It's the same thing. People can't trust their own currency. So what do they do? They use the dollar instead. In countries like these, where there are a lot of economic problems that can't be solved in the short term, these countries end up resorting to these informal dollarizations, you know, where the dollar is being used, there's no formal sort of legislation that says that the dollar is legal tender or anything like that. But countries end up using the dollar anyway because it is a currency that is, again, its value is stable and people can trust it. And so they can, you know, denominate contracts in that currency. They can take on debt in that currency. They can make transactions in that currency. So these economies become highly dependent on the dollar. And then you can think of, you know, a situation where, okay, the U.S. defaults. Well, then what? Because then these economies are now no longer going to have that anchor of stability that kept them more or less sort of adrift, but in any event, sort of anchored as well, which they would not have been if they couldn't resort to the dollar. If you take that away from them, then they're completely adrift. And so that is one thing that I fear greatly because there are a lot of countries in that situation. Monica, thank you so much for your time. This was very helpful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb. If you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com slash global dispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>